Good morning, everybody. Uh, always good to be in Harrisburg. What a great outreach to do on Mother's Day. It's awesome. My name is Steve Huber. I'm the lead pastor of Liberty Church East in Philadelphia and also the director of the Liberty Network. I get to preach here uh, once in a while. It's always good to be with you. I'm also going to pray for your church and for all that's going on. Know that the elders at Liberty East do lift you up in prayer and seek to stay connected with your leaders. I'm going to pray for the church as well before we dive into looking at God's word on the topic of marriage and singleness. Would you allow me to pray for you? Lord, I pray that you would prepare our hearts as we come to hear your word. Those of us who are, who are heavy, meet us with the comforting presence of the Holy Spirit. For those who are searching for truth, reveal yourself to us. For those who need wisdom, Lord, grow us in wisdom. We admit that we make mistakes. We admit that we're shaped by things that aren't helpful frequently. We admit that we need wisdom for life. And show us the beauty of Jesus, we ask. And I I do pray for Liberty Harrisburg as they undergo leadership transitions. Pray for Ryan Moran moving back into part-time. You would bless him and his family. Continue to bless this church and the worship ministry at this church. Lift up also the Partons as they prepare for another season of life and ministry. Bless them in every way. I pray for continued growth and gospel relationships here for more maturity and and continued unity. Pray that it be the fruit of unity that comes from the gospel. You told us to pray for these things. You told us to honor one another. We pray that we'd live that out. Pray that this church would have a sense of being held up in prayer and they would know that there are brothers and sisters uh, who care for them in the Liberty Network. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, we're going to look in God's Word on the topic of marriage and singleness. And I invite you to turn to 1 Corinthians 7, or page 956 in the Bibles that are on the chairs. Page 956. And this is a little bit of a different kind of sermon, because we're going to, you know, a lot of the times we go through books of the Bible. We're in the same book of the Bible, we just go through it. Other times we look at a topic, and we're going to jump around and look at what the Bible says about this topic. This is one of those kinds of sermons. And uh, my man Justin on the PowerPoint is going to put up a passage for me. Now, look at, look at these two passages. Verses from 1 Corinthians 7, verse 7 and 8. It's actually on the preceding page that I told you. But the Apostle Paul says this, I wish that all were as I myself am, But each one has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. The Apostle Paul thinks singleness is awesome. He thinks it should be considered. He actually tries to sell people on it. He says in this chapter, hey, here are the advantages. And I'm trying to spare you from some trouble. He uses the word trouble. Married people say yes, it's true trouble. But think about it. He says, I wish that all, he sees singleness as a gift. Each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. And yet, this is the same guy 
who wrote the passage on marriage in the New Testament, in Ephesians 5. Listen to this verse. And therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So the Apostle Paul models for us a very high view of singleness. He thinks it's awesome. He thinks more people should think about it and consider it. And at the same time, a very high view of marriage. A good Christian marriage displays the love of Jesus for his people to the world. He says it's a profound mystery. The two will become one. He couldn't have a higher view of marriage and singleness. Now, we're looking at both topics this morning because it's true, actually, that you, to have a spiritually mature view of singleness, you need a spiritually mature view of mar- marriage. And to have a spiritually mature view of marriage, you need to have a spiritual, uh, spiritually mature view of singleness. And what happens is cultures and people tend to pendulum swing. Some cultures and people, like being married is the normal thing to be. You know, being married is seen as almost like normal. So when single people get to a certain age, you know, the, the married people around them are kind of like, oh, you know, they get a little, huh. Eh. They start making sounds like kind of, you know, you, you pick up the vibe, like, what are you doing? What's going on? You know? And singleness is seen as a problem to be solved. Single people tend to pick up the vibe, oh, uh, I'm not getting with the program, or, or you think there's, there's something wrong with the fact I'm single. There's places in the world where you're, you're not really an adult person until you're married. It's like this in traditional cultures. Africa, for instance. You're not really a, a grown-up unless you're married with kids. And it's, that's, okay, that's a little weird, right? Because the Apostle Paul was a grown-up. Jesus was a grown-up. Are you with me on that? You'd vote yes for that. Jesus was a grown-up. And so the idol there, there tends to be too much of an emphasis with those people and those cultures on the identity and the security and the community that comes from marriage. There's a high view of marriage in those cultures, a very low view of singleness. On the other side, there's other cultures and peoples that have too high of a vision of singleness and too low a vision of marriage. There's a state farm commercial right now where a guy's like hanging out at a party with a bunch of girls at it, and he laughs to his friends, <laughs> I'll never get married. I'm never going to be tied down. And the, the idol there is the idol, tends to be the idol of that freedom and the focus on self, freedom and self-fulfillment. So there's a high view of that advantage of singleness, the freedom of singleness, but a very low view of marriage. It tends to be spiritually immature. Marriage then is, where singleness was a problem before, marriage is now a problem. Marriage is like a purse in this view. Marriage is a purse. It's an accessory. And since it's all about you, you ask, does this look good on me? What happens when a purse doesn't look good? You swap it out for one that looks good. What happens when a purse gets too heavy? You put it down. You walk away. Both of these are really unwise and actually harmful. How can we have a truly spiritually mature view of marriage and singleness 
And check out these statistics. Here's why it's more important than ever to think wisely about this. There's more single people than ever. Did you know that? In the 2010 census, there's just under 100 million single adults in America. In 2012, one in five adults, age 25 and over, had never been married. In 1960, that number was one in 10. There's a lot more people who have never gotten married or never going to get married. And what's happening is more people are never getting married, and people who do get married get so much later. So uh, the church, we really need to think wisely about singleness. At the same time, too, I would, I would tell you, see what you think of this. There's never been a time when more was expected out of marriage in terms of fulfillment. We're romantic about romance. We romance romance. And so all we're asking in terms of a life mate, look, no pressure. Imagine saying this on a first date. No pressure. I'm just asking you to fulfill me to the depths of my soul. I'm just asking for you to complete me. That's all. So you can relax. There's never been a time when more was expected out of marriage. We expect so much from it, so much pressure on it. And this is also related. There's never been a time where more were free, uh, where, more, where there was more fear of marriage. I think there's a lot of fear of marriage. I, um, in Liberty Church East, there's a ton of single folks. And I chose this topic because I kept on talking to people that were at an age where in one sense they were dating and doing marriage exploration, but they act like marriage is some secret ninja skill that only a few people have. It's like, wow, it's just out there. and Not too many people know how to do that. And I was like, like you're an adult. You would like to... um, get married someday, you love Jesus, should you be acting like marriage is some secret ninja art that only a few people have uh, the skill to do? And I, I think some of that is from, here's where some of that weirdness comes from. Some of it's from perfectionism, because marriage is about fulfillment. You want to find someone who's perfect in every way, who completes you and has no problems, should be pretty easy. And uh, marriage is perfection, perfectionism. And it's also because of this, because a lot of us have been around broken marriages, the broken marriages in our family, in our parents. And so we've seen marriages be strained. We've seen marriages be lonely. And without gospel hope, that gives you a very dark picture of marriage, right? You're weirded out. You're afraid, and understandably so. And so I, I go into this knowing that in the room there's people that marriage is much harder than they thought. There are people here who are afraid of marriage because of what they've seen, what they've experienced. Maybe, and maybe some don't consider it, though they should. Other of you, other people might be a little bit naive, and so you're pushing towards marriage in ways that aren't going to be helpful. Other people here are, are just are single, and you're content in it. Other people are single, and you're just weary of it. You're tired 
of that. Um, you're like, I have, have this gift. Can this be like a white elephant gift? Let's swap gifts. Who wants to swap gifts? You've been given a gift you don't want. So how do we think of through this wisely? Okay, first thing is this. Marriage and singleness are both considered gifts and high callings, but not ultimate callings. In Scripture, both considered gifts and high callings, but they're not ultimate callings. So the Apostle Paul says, uh, "One has. I wish that all were I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. He didn't say each has his own curse from God. You've been cursed like this. I've been cursed this way. He really does think, hey, there is some unique challenges of singleness, but it's a gift. And there's a freedom from concern. He's like, you're, you're free from some trouble in this world if you're single. He really does um, think it is a noble calling. One decision to factor in that he includes, one of the things to factor in is your level of sexual desire on whether or not you're, you hope to eventually be married or not. He's like, that's one thing to factor in. So he's like, you've got to factor that in. But if you can, and you can be, con- be content being single, if God's put you in there, you ought to see it as a gift and seek to use the freedom of it to delight yourself in what God delights in. Like the way you can have multiple friends and invest in people and serve the Lord. You have a freedom that married people don't have. It's a gift. The same apostle writes that marriage is a gift, a profound mystery that displays to the world the love between Jesus and the church. It's an awesome, awesome gift. Marriage is a gift. It's a high calling. Neither are ultimate callings. And what do I mean here? Neither are ultimate callings. Well, I'm going to have you now look at page 956 and notice this strange passage in 1 Corinthians 7, starting with verse 27. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 27. Paul just riffs on this topic. He says, Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. Here's a verse. If you do marry, you have not sinned. He's like, it's not a big deal. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it, for the present form of this world is passing away. What does he mean? What does he mean? What, what is the time is short? Doesn't it mean, in the light of all eternity, and since God has fulfilled his promises in Jesus and his kingdom has come, your time on this earth, in light of eternity, your time on the merry-go-round of this world is short. In the light of eternity, the way things are now will not always be always be as they are. He says, think about this. Uh, This world as it is, it's sort of the opening band. It's the opening band. The main act is still to come. And so if if life has been sad, you can be comforted that, you know what, you will not be sad forever. And we just sang about the tears being wiped away. And a joy that will make up for all that 
And if you have a lot of money, okay, hey, that's great. But you know that's not like the main thing either. You know, it's not, that's not ultimate either. You should act in a way like you had none. You invest it now. It relativizes everything. And the ultimate love story, okay, marriage and singleness are good gifts, and they're good callings, but they're not ultimate callings. The ultimate love story for the Apostle Paul, for the church, for every Christian, is that the God of this universe has come in to rescue, rescue you and pointed at you and said, you're my beloved, and has made promises to you to always be with you and to never leave you. That's the love story. That's the ultimate love story. We long for a home. We long for family. And in the end, it's not Jesus and me. It's Jesus and we. There'll be, in the end, there's Jesus and family that lasts forever and joy. And in the end, there's a marriage. And in a way, we're all single. In a way, we're all married. In a way, we're all single. Well, the marriages of this world will not be the same when God renews all things. We'll have the same significance. We'll know each other, but it won't be, it won't be the same. So it's, it's like you're not married in the same way anymore. And yet, we're all married because it's Jesus and his people. So in a way, we're all single and we're completed by Jesus. In a way, yeah, we're all married. That's the ultimate marriage. That's the ultimate love song that's what relativizes the gift of marriage in this world or the gift of singleness in this world. It, it kind of puts it in perspective. That's what puts in its place poverty or massive wealth in this world. The Apostle Paul's like, well, if you're poor, don't mourn like those who have no hope. And if you're rich, don't bank everything on that. It puts everything in its place. Both marriage and singleness are less than ultimate. Now, here's how this helps. And, and maybe you're thinking, okay, I, I actually believe and seeing and practice that God's love for me is the most important fact. See, that's something we're supposed to have in common here. If you're in Jesus, if you're connected to Jesus, your most important fact isn't your married state or your single state but it is the fact that the God, of universe, the God of the universe has called you beloved. That's the bottom line for you. And that's what empowers you to move out in love in your relationships. Now, here's how this helps. If that's true, that the love story of the gospel is the love story, the marriage of the gospel is the marriage, the ultimate one, here's how it helps. You weigh the gifts of marriage and singleness more wisely. You're not following along a script blindly anymore. Lemmings are these animals that follow along in herds unwisely. They just run with the herd. Some of you should actually be like, you know what? This could give you gospel hope for considering marriage. This could give you gospel hope. You know what? Maybe I shouldn't just rush into marriage. Maybe I shouldn't just rush into singleness. You're less likely just be shaped by the culture and follow the script blindly. You can weigh the gift of marriage and the gift of singleness more wisely and say, what does God have for me? What is wise right now, given this season of my life?
You don't have to follow a script, a script blindly. How else is this helpful? Well, there's more contentment in, in singleness. There's more contentment in marriage when each is hard. We're actually should expect some ache in both. There are times, even a good marriage, when it's hard. Your, uh, this is one of the things that happens in marriage. Your character deficiencies, the ways that you need to grow that were annoying to your friends, it bugged them a little bit. Like you don't show up when you say you do or, you know, uh, you say you're going to bring something to a party and you always just show up and eat everyone else's food. Other people notice that kind of thing. The character things behind that, they're, they're like a whisper in your friendships. They're a murmur. In your marriage, they're shouts. They're really loud. And this is why when two people get married, you have days when you get up and you say, what is wrong with you? <laughs> what are you doing? Right? There's going to be some ache. And yet, God can show up in that. And part of the purpose of marriage is for holiness. It's not just for our happiness, though it is. It's for holiness. You help each other grow. And when the gospel, when you forgive each other in an ongoing way and say, I am here not just to be fulfilled by you, but to serve you and to forgive you and to give you grace constantly, even as I have to speak truth to you, it might be hard to hear. There's a beautifying effect that's supposed to come into our other relationships as well. But when we have in perspective the ultimate marriage, the ultimate love story, it gives us more contentment in singleness, more contentment in marriage. Okay, for singles who have been single a long time, and you're just, you're weary of it. Um, do you guys remember the German guy who in 2009, he, he got really depressed and he ended his life in 2009 because he lost $3 billion. Now, I would be sad if I lost $3 billion, right? You would too. Darn. With the, the financial collapse in late 2008, he lost $3 billion. Here's what was crazy, though, to the world. He still had $9 billion. <laughs> he went from being worth $12 billion to be worth $9 billion. And often, when there's ache in our marriage, when there's ache in our singleness, we need to comfort ourselves. This is hard. This is hard. Yet do, not, do you not have wealth in Jesus? Do you not have the riches of Jesus? Are you looking at what you have in him? Are you drawing from that? This puts it all in perspective. We're less surprised that we need the love of Jesus to love our friends well, to love our spouse well. We're less surprised, and there's more present comfort in ache. And uh, another thing that this does, okay, having the ultimate marriage and the ultimate love of the universe in perspective, it makes us wiser in how we approach marriage. Marriage is both, it's a gift in Scripture, it's also a decision. It's a gift in the sense it has to line up, right? You have to find someone who wants to marry you, and you want to marry them, right? You have to both, there's two thumbs up there. So there's a gift part of it, but it's also a decision. That is news, actually, in this cultural moment. 
the approach to marriage has been so Disney-fied. There's people expect like magic or pixie dust or spinning rooms or to, to levitate or something when it's the person you might marry where just, I've actually helped a lot of people by saying this basic thing. Hey, it's a decision. You have to just like decide. You have to weigh it. You have to, you got to ask your friends, do you think she's great? Do you think he's good? Is it, are we good together? Does this make sense? You have to weigh some things, not just physical attractiveness, which is a factor, but actually you're going to be hanging out with this person, hopefully for decades. You might want to know if they're gentle. <laughs> you might want to know, do they serve people when they're annoying? Because newsflash, that's going to be you. Okay? You're going to want to look at a lot of different things here. And it's a decision. It's a decision to make. And that makes it like less creepy. And actually just saying that, it's a decision, has helped people have courage to like make a decision. Uh, what do these gifts have in common? Okay, if it's true that ultimately we're fulfilled in Jesus... And even now, we taste that happens partly. When we sing, you're all that I need, we believe that, and yet we struggle to believe it, don't we? We're like, yes, God loves me, and yet we ache for more. This life is a life of tasting and also hungering. We taste, and yet we know we don't. We're not completely who we will be. What does that mean for marriage and singleness? What do they have in common? A couple things, real quickly. Both are for a season, right? Ultimately, they're both completed by Christ. Both are, are told to expect ache. How about this, number two? Both are called to covenantal relationships, not consumer relationships. Both are called the covenantal relationships, not consumer relationships. And covenantal relationships, I mean binding, based on a promise. Consumer relationships are based on, does this feel good right now? How's this going? Is this fun for me? And if the answer is no, more than likely I'm going to be out pretty soon. It's a very different way to look at your relationships. Think about this for a second. Often when we, we think about marriage, what we're drawn to, especially in our culture, we romance, we're romantic about romance, we idealize the sexual experience, which is a great gift, and it's part of it. And there's a whole book in the Bible about sexual intimacy in marriage. It's called the Song of Songs. And we've preached, I've actually preached on that passage here. And it's wonderful and good. And yet it's also balancing to say, you know what, most of marriage is about friendship, and companionship. That's what most of it is. And when we look at the Apostle Paul, he has that. His life as a single man, is a, he's in this rich relational world. I'm going to quote a few verses from Romans 16. Paul writes a letter to Rome, and he's never been there. But because he had traveled all over and planted churches all over the place, he knows a lot of people who are there, and he sends them greetings. Listen to how many friends he has. He's not just giving blind shout-outs. 
what he says reflects that he knows these people. The first person he greets is a single woman. He says, I commend you our sister Phoebe, a deaconess of the church, a servant of the church, Centria. Help her in whatever way she may need for you, for she has been a patron of many and myself as well. He's saying she, she's helped a lot of people. She's helped me. Then he greets a married couple, Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life. Greet these people. They risked their lives for me. He says, greet Impliatus, my beloved in the Lord, one I love in Jesus. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. There's married people, there's single people, there's older people. Greet them. And we just get a window. He has a, he has a lot of friends. He has deep relationships. And he commands the church in Romans to display this welcome. He says, welcome each other just as you've been welcomed by Jesus in chapter 15. At the end of Romans 16, he says, greet one another with a holy kiss. Be warm in your greetings, not as a formality, but it's signifying that you are brothers and sisters. You're in covenanted relationships. Not just, hey, I'm part of this church, and if I don't like it, I'm going to hop over here. They're deep relationships. Uh, One of the people who lives this out for me, the the Liberty Elders do pray for each other a lot. And I've experienced, and by God's grace given, a lot of love back and forth. I experienced this with the community of elders and their wives. I experienced this with, I'm friends with a lot of people who are single. One of the guys who lives this out, I think really well, is a guy in Acts 29. He's one of my dearest friends in the church planning network you're a part of. His name's Josh Corey. And he has a small church in Oklahoma City of about 3,000 people. They have these different sites. And he's just... He, he's had me come hang out with him to help him think about church planning and how, what to do with these different sites. And he walks around and he says, he tells the people that he works with that he loves them. He says, I love you. And when you're hanging out with him in the church, you're like, is this kind of like a, just a standard greeting? Hey, I love you, man. Is this like pe- saying peace at the end of an email? That can be a deeply heartfelt thing. I extend Jesus' peace to you. That can be a real thing. But then seeing the culture of that team, it just became apparent they really do love each other. They're in covenanted relationships. And this is a guy, we've just become friends. And when I was in need of prayer, he said to me, hey, you say the word, I'm on a plane tomorrow to come see you. If you ever need me to come, I'm there. Don't we all long for friends like that? You know, we're actually called to be those kind of friends. That a lot of people in our lives, it's like, let's drop the Western Reserve, where we're just like, I love you, I know I'm not going to do it perfectly, but if you need me, I really will do my best to love you and come be with you. Do you know that we're all called to that? But people 
sometimes people get married just because they want to have someone who's going to love them no matter what. Here's the tragedy in that. We're called to do that because we're Christians. We're called to say, you're in my family because you are a sister in Jesus. And I'm going to love you. Covenantal relationships. We're called to be there for each other just because we're Christians. Jesus gives these 51 another commands. If you love one another, pray for one another, bear one another, another's burdens. What's the one that's in there the most? It's love one another. He just says it again and again. Love one another as I've loved you. We're called to covenantal relationships. And this pushes back against the kind of relationships where in a consumer, consumer-oriented world, we in sin are going to be drawn to where we try things out and we just see what it does for us. And when things are hard, we tend to skip out. Jesus calls us to something deeper and better. What else do marriage and single people have in common? Well, we're called the covenanted relationships, and we both mature in the context of community. You know what you need to grow up in, um, as a Christian? You need other people. You don't need just blogs and books and spiritual disciplines. Those will be helpful. You actually need other people to grow and mature as a Christian. A guy who wrote about this recently, this book just came out two weeks ago. His name's Wesley Hill, and he wrote a book called Spiritual Friendship, Finding Love in the Church as a Celibate Gay Christian. Now, this is Wesley Hill's story. He's a New Testament scholar. He, he confesses, he's like, I'm attracted to men. He's like, that's what I can remember. It hasn't gone away. And his story is, and yet he believes that the scriptures called him to be celibate sexually. And it's a challenge to some in the church who are shocked to learn that the, the sexual desires for, for men haven't gone away just because he's a Christian and he's growing as a Christian. They have not changed It's also a challenge to those in the culture who can't picture a full life, a fulfilling life that's not sexually active. It's just like nonsense. And yet, like this is a story, and he seeks out spiritual friendships with men and women in the church. And this is what he says. There's the myth of freedom. The myth, the freedom myth is this. The myth that the less encumbered and entangled I am relationally, the less accountable, anchored I am to a particular relationship, the better I'll, I am to be able to find my truest self and secure real happiness. Like this culture says, you know what you need to find to be you, to be really happy and fulfilled? No entanglements relationally. Complete freedom. Yet Wesley Hill says, wait. Real intimacy, as I'm defying it, confronts and discredits the radical individualism of our lives by demonstrating the profound importance of human relationships. The new growth that marks a living personality depends upon discoveries that can only happen within some level of intimate relationship, whether between matrimonial partners or between those dearest of friends who so nearly approximate mates. He's saying... To grow spiritually, you discover things about yourself. You discover, oh, wow, that person's wise in a way I'm not. This person's gentle in a way that uh, challenges me. Your gifts are affirmed. Those discoveries can only happen in relationship. We need the covenant community to grow. We do. 
Um, lastly, single people, married people, all of our covenant relationships have a larger purpose. They're for the growth of each other. And this is affirmed again and again. You're a body. How does a body grow? Well, the parts work together and makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Discover gifts. Discover gospel pep talks that people around you need to hear. And they'll typically be the same ones. You don't struggle with different sins every day. You don't get up and be like, let's find new sins to struggle with. It's the same ones, right? The same patterns, discouragements, or the fears that you must push away with promises. Seek to give gospel pep talks to each other and walk with each other in those ways. Like, hey, this is a way this person needs to be built up. They're lonely right now. I need to remind them they are valued. They are loved. They're uncertain right now. They need to be reminded God's presence will never be ripped out of your life. No matter what happens to you, God is with you in Christ. He'll never leave you. They need to be reminded of that, and you can give them that comfort. Maybe they need to be just served. They might need a gospel pep talk. They need to be served. We're in these covenantal relationships for the growth of others. That's one of the things that happens in marriage. And this is for the glory of God. At the end of Romans 15, Paul says, All of this happens so that you may with one voice glorify the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. It glorifies God. Friends, do we not need to depend on the love of Jesus to live in the covenanted relationships that we're called to? I'll close by reminding you of a, a prayer of Paul. This is what he's going to pray for the church and a city. And he's actually praying it for Christians in all time. He prays that they'd have power so that Jesus would dwell in their hearts through faith. And they'd be able, with all the believers, to know how wide and long and high and deep is the love of God in Christ. And that they would know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge and be filled with all the fullness of God. He prays that they'd know how huge Jesus' love is. Isn't that what we need? And that's what God has promised us in Jesus. Would you pray with me? Allow me to pray for us. Heavenly Father, um, we pray that we would depend on your love in deeper ways. We admit that we taste the love of Jesus, and we admit we need to know more. We pray for wisdom and how we think about our relationships. We pray that we would labor, serve, speak for the growth of others. We pray that we'd be less fickle in how we think about our friendships and more committed. Uh, We pray we'd be deeper. And we pray this, that this community here would grow. Uh, We pray that there'd be pure, wise friendships between married people and single people. Lord, we need community. And you've given us the community of faith as a gift and as a means of our growth. Lord, we admit that we don't do this perfectly. We admit that we uh, live out these commands very imperfectly. Help us, we pray. And we pray that we would know the love of Christ and be filled with the love of Christ. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.